Microsoft is looking to buy TikTok's U.S. operations by September. Britney Spears' dad is pushing back on the hashtag Free Britney movement. And we're talking with BuzzFeed News' Jessica Garrison about her new book, which examines how one of America's deadliest hitmen flew under the radar for years. The date, August 3rd, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Before we dive in, Casey, can we talk cats again? I know we've (laughs) done it several times here, but we have to talk about it really quick. Okay, so Andrew Lloyd Webber, who, you know, wrote the music for Cats, who's also did Phantom of the Opera, legendary composer, he told the Sunday Times that the problem with the film, Casey, was that Tom Hooper, the director, decided he didn't want anybody involved in it who was involved in the original show. The whole thing was ridiculous. (laughs) And that's what he sees as the problem. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the best part that he said the problem as if there wasn't multiple I mean, I kind of get where he's coming from because I've never seen the show live, but based on everything I can tell, the show was supposed to be fun and exciting and all about the dance. And Tom Hooper just kind of buried that under a layer of extremely scary CGI to the point that no one cares. It's definitely one of those things where I'm like, you should bring someone on. okay? you know, maybe it doesn't need to be like the head honcho, but it's like you got to bring some people who have touched this piece before. Nope, entirely free form. We're just going (laughs) to make up cats as we go. Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. One of the doctors quoting the U.S. coronavirus response says we've hit a, quote, dangerous new phase, unquote, of the crisis. Dr. Deborah Burks is the head of the White House's COVID-19 task force. And yesterday on CNN State of the Union, she had a very blunt assessment of where the country is right now in terms of tackling the pandemic. We are beginning to see an impact from the mitigation procedures that many of the state and local officials have put into place. But I want to be very clear, what we're seeing today is different from March and April. It is extraordinarily widespread. It's into the rural as equal urban areas. And to everybody who lives in a rural area, you are not immune or protected from this virus. The number of new cases being reported daily in the U.S. has hit a dangerous plateau, averaging around 60,000 per day. And the death toll has continued to rise. Last week had at least 1,000 confirmed COVID-19 related deaths across the country daily. President Trump, though, chose to shoot the messenger again. On Twitter this morning, he wrote that Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had, in his view, attacked Dr. Burks. And so, quote, in order to counter Nancy, Deborah took the bait and hit us. Pathetic exclamation point. Meanwhile, Microsoft says it's in talks to buy TikTok's U.S. business. The OG tech giant has apparently secretly been in talks with TikTok's Chinese parent company, ByteDance, for weeks. According to the Wall Street Journal, the two sides were close to a deal on Friday when the president nearly blew all that up. Trump was on board Air Force One when he told reporters that, quote, as far as TikTok is concerned, we're banning them from the United States. But Microsoft now says its CEO, Satya Nadella, spoke with the president over the weekend and the talks with ByteDance are back on track. Microsoft says that any potential deal will be wrapped up by September 15th and would cover TikTok's operations in the U.S. as well as Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. As part of any deal, Microsoft says that American users' data will be transferred out of China and into U.S. databases. And finally, over the weekend, U.S. astronauts took part in the first water landing in over 40 years as they returned from orbit. 
NASA's Doug Hurley and Robert Behnken splashed down safely in the Gulf of Mexico after spending two months in space as part of the first human test flight of SpaceX's Crew Dragon module. The test was a proof of concept for NASA to be a customer for private spaceflight, with NASA's Inspector General reporting that SpaceX is expected to charge the agency $55 million per seat, while Boeing is predicted to charge $90 million per seat for its competing service. Of all the things that could have gone wrong during the mission, the splashdown actually had a higher-than-expected chance of failure. That's because a surprising number of civilian boats, including one with a Trump-Pence 2020 flag, showed up at the landing site, which could be bad when you're talking about dropping a very fast-moving object from space. Luckily, things went off without a hitch. I'm genuinely so confused. Why did all of these civilian boats show up? But yeah, it's like if a bunch of people were in the operating room just like cheering on and everyone's like, no, get out. <laughs> or like, say, if you're watching, you're cheering on your favorite football team and you're just standing in the end zone <laughs> during the Super Bowl, just in everyone's way, huge potential for injury, <laughs> terrible ideas all around. Oh. Okay, that's it for me, Casey. What have you got? Well, Britney Spears' father weighed in on the Free Britney campaign this weekend, calling it, quote, a joke. For those of you who aren't aware, back in 2008, a California court approved a conservatorship for Spears, meaning that her father would be put in charge of her financial affairs and physical well-being. We don't know a lot of the details about that conservatorship, but lately a movement under the hashtag Free Britney has demanded that it end. Most of the people posting it are claiming that not only is Spears being forced into conservatorship, but that she's actually doing just fine based on her social media posts. And people who've used the hashtag include celebrities like Snooki, Ariel Winter, and Paris Hilton. Now, in an interview with Page Six, her father, Jamie Spears, says, quote, all these conspiracy theorists don't know anything. The world don't have a clue. He also denied accusations that he's been funneling Spears' money away from her, pointing out that he has to account for everything he spends in reports to the court. What a wild and honestly kind of confusing story this all has been. Like, I've been only seeing, like, bits and pieces of it, so thank you for breaking that down. Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough. It's kind of like what, you know, people have been talking about with Kanye. Um you know, with someone like Britney Spears, who uh, people have been like, you know, talking about her like mental health issues and stuff like that. It's like it's this fine line of like since it's been going on since 2008, all this, it's this fine line of people feeling like they can joke about it. But also this is a this is a human and this is her life. And yes, it's a very public life, but it's still it's like, where is that line? And then you add on TikTok, which has a whole area for conspiracy theories and people who are like, it's like, what is that jump of like? They're like, we need to save Britney. And I'm like, OK, well, we don't have all the facts. Right. Are these people mostly joking? Are they actually concerned for Britney's well-being? No, there's actual concern. And again, I don't want to like touch on it too much because we don't have the facts. But it, she has been in this conservatorship since 2008. That's a very long time. And so there's a lot of people out there going like, why is she still in this conservatorship? Why is she not able to be on her own? What is happening? Why is her dad still in charge? So that's where like free Britney is really coming from. That makes sense, question mark. Enough sense for 2020 internet, I suppose. Mm. When we come back, we've got Jessica Garrison with us talking about her new book, The Devil's Harvest. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. 
support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Robert Sex Reese, host of the Dr. Sex Reese Show, And every episode, I listen to people talk about their sex and intimacy issues. And yes, I despise every minute of it. I mean, she she made mistakes too, right? That's true. She She did kill everyone at her wedding. But hell is real. We're all trapped here. And there's nothing any of us can do about it. So join me, won't you? Listen to the Dr. Sex Reese Show every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. He was known as El Mano Negra, the Black Hand. One of the deadliest hitmen in the U.S., Jose Manuel Martinez, ultimately confessed to over 30 murders. About 36 people. You can't imagine what people have told me when they hired me to go and kill a person for them. After I get paid, they told me, you know what, Martinez? I feel a a weight has lifted from my heart. He operated for almost 25 years, but to the people who knew him, he was simply the grandfather down the street who took his kids to Disney World. How did he get away with it? To help answer that, we're joined by BuzzFeed news reporter and author of the new book, The Devil's Harvest, Jessica Garrison. Hello, Jessica. Hello. So first of all, congrats on the book. Thank you so much. So the article that became this book was published back in 2018. How did you come across the story in the first place? So I actually, this is one of those stories that I've been following kind of for a while. Um, And I came across this story first when I was still at the Los Angeles Times. And there was like a little wire service, you know, snippet of news that came across that said that a contract killer was being extradited from Alabama to California to face charges on nine murders. And it also mentioned that he lived in this tiny little town in the middle of the San Joaquin Valley. And I thought, I knew the town, and I thought, how on earth do you live in this tiny little town among your family and people who've known you forever and just commit murder after murder after murder and never get caught? And I was just sort of fascinated by that. And then I started looking into it, and it was like, I mean, I could not have imagined the story that lay behind that question. What was it like when you finally got in touch with Martinez? Was he what you expected? I mean, I'm not sure that I had any expectations. I think the thing that surprised me the most um, was that, you know, I mean, I've been a reporter for a while and I've written a lot of letters to people in a lot of prisons and said, hello, I'm writing about you. Here's my number, call collect. And almost never does anybody call. So I think the thing that surprised me the most was that he picked up the phone, you know, and then 
by the time I did talk to him, I'd spoken to a lot of police officers about him and almost to a person, these officers talked about kind of how personable he was. Um, and so I was quite struck by that, but I was also sort of prepared for it. So throughout the book, you managed to avoid making Martinez out to be a complete monster. You talk about his family and his upbringing. What was it like trying to strike that balance when you're also speaking with and writing about the families of his victims? I mean, I think, you know, this is very much a, a reported piece of journalism. Um, and the real question at the heart of the book to me was, it was about Jose Martinez, but it was also about the question of like, how and why was he allowed to get away with this? And to me, that was sort of in some ways more shocking than the fact that someone could kill with impunity for 30 years. The fact that, you know, our society and, you know, California and, you know, the United States would let him. And I think to tell that story, you also have to tell the story of the victims. And so I, you know, tracked down as many of family members of his victims as I could. And the kind of most heartbreaking thing about it was that in many cases, no one had ever come and tried to tell their stories before, or, you know, a lot of them said over and over again, it's like nobody cared. And so I think that, you know, what I tried to do in the book was to tell their stories and then also to tell the story not just of Jose Martinez, but also of the place he was from and the family that he came from and the place that he came from. A lot of this book takes place in the Central Valley in California. What can you tell people listening who have only a loose idea of California's geography uh, about what that area is like? I mean, so I guess I would start by saying, like, if you ate something today, it probably, chances are, if you had a full meal, some piece of it came out of the Central Valley. I mean, this is where... I, you know, something like half of the fruits and nuts that Americans eat are grown there. So even though none of us have ever heard of this place, it's literally in us. And, you know, it's a long valley that stretches basically, if you're familiar from California, from like Redding to Bakersfield. So like 400 some miles down the interior of the state. And it's, you know, ringed on one side by the Sierra Nevada mountain range and then the other by the coastal range. And in between is just oceans and oceans of fields. And it's some of the most fertile farmland in the world. So Martinez managed to avoid attention for so long, despite killing people for hire from about, what, 1980 until 2013. She said it's because of how good he was, but how much of that would you say had to do with where he was operating and who he was killing? I mean, I think, you know, nobody can really answer that question because it's a counterfeit, you know, right? Like he was, if you talk to, you know, hardened homicide detectives, over and over, they're like, wow, yeah, he was good. You know, I mean, he was killing people that he had no connection to most of the time. Um, and he didn't leave a lot of evidence. Um, so, you know, the, what are you supposed to do if you're a homicide detective? Um, you know, you've got like a bullet and a dead body and nothing in the victim's life that would lead back to him. So I think that's part of it. You know, the other part of it is that he, he was killed. I mean, he killed people all over the country. Um, but a lot of the murders that he committed in California were of people who, you know, were often sort of some, but not all were involved in the drug trade. Many of them were undocumented and there was not a huge constituency saying, solve these crimes, solve these crimes. And you had, you know, in many cases, police forces that were quite overwhelmed you know, I mean, I talked to one homicide detective who picked up one of the Martinez murders and it was like the third murder he'd gotten in one extremely long shift. So 
they're, they, you know, they worked these cases, but they also had a lot of other cases to work. So Martinez was eventually put on trial last year. What happened with that? I know that prosecutors were seeking the death penalty. You know, he, he uh, has been adjudicated now in three states. So he pled guilty in Alabama, and then he pled guilty to nine murders in California. And then Florida said, you know, we're going to try to give him the death penalty for two murders in Florida. So he was sent to Florida, and he had a, you know, a trial about whether he should get the death penalty. And a huge huge number of Martinez's family, you know, something like three dozen members of his family flew out to Florida and testified one after another, um, to what a, you know, I mean, nobody tried to say he's not a killer. Um, but everybody testified about, you know, here are some other things you should know about him. Um, and they talked about kind of what a, how he was kind of the family protector. They talked about how he had grown up, um, they talked about the ways in which he sort of sacrificed himself for his family. And at the end of that, a Florida jury did not give him the death penalty, much to the astonishment of a lot of people in the courtroom. Well, listeners, Jessica's new book, The Devil's Harvest, goes on sale tomorrow. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. That's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we talk about the troubles at the Postal Service and what it means for the election with Washington Post reporter Jacob Bogage. And remember... Cats, the musical, and the movie are very real things that exist in this world. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Peacock streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network.